Told you he's tough. Nobody can kill Merle but Merle. The world we know is gone. No Google. No Amazon.com. No email. No podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. Welcome to the Walking Dead TV Podcast, Episode 11. It's Vatos. This is John. I brought some zombies with me tonight. Who's here with me? This is Russ. This is Jordan. And Brad. Good evening, fellas. Gak. We're missing uh, Mr. Dietz. Jim had a computer problem. Uh, it was kind of like a bad tech day for everyone. We lost our voicemail for a little while, so after I spent, I don't know, a half hour begging for voicemails on Twitter, everybody yelled at me and said that they could not leave one. So uh, we apologize for that, but we have that fixed, so the voicemail is ready to go. And uh, we had a good show. Vatos uh, delivered, I would say. I agree. Yeah, big time. Cool deal. So this is how we're going to start things off tonight. We have some voicemails that came in before Vatos aired, and uh, we want to get to them. So we'll do that. We'll do some iTunes reviews, and then uh, we'll get to the show. So here's our first voicemail. Hey, this is Daryl. I'm enjoying the show, and uh, it's just good that I can sit and listen to you, you guys talk about the show after I've watched it. But I always make sure I tell people, if you like the show... You would like this podcast. So I just watched episode two. It's something how they changed the... Because I've read all... I've read just about all the, the trades. So it's just weird how they... It's good, though, that they how they change some things so that you don't know exactly how the story's going to turn out. I do like that. Only thing I did not like, I wasn't feeling the, the racist uh, redneck guy pretty much manhandling three or four guys, you know, and, and, and people in general, because I, I just don't see all those guys, all those people being that scared of one, one, I just didn't, I just, it didn't ring true. But um, other than that, I mean, it was still, I know that it was done to, to give Rick the chance to be, you know, to show how, to give him that Captain America moment, you know, to, to be the hero. But it just, it would have been. I think it would have been better if what happened at the end of episode two. I think it would have been more of an impact if it was a likable guy that they had to kind of do that to to get away. It would have showed how how horrible you know all these situations you get put in and and the things that you have to do. But other than that, I still I'm in the show. I love it. You know, it's, it's still a good show. It's disgusting as hell. So just take care, man. Good show. Y'all, y'all do a good job. So uh, that's it. Later. Very cool. Thank you, Daryl. Daryl's our buddy from uh, many other podcasts. No Apologies, Nothing's On, Comic Book Roadshow. It goes on and on. You can check all his stuff out at forumforgeeks.com. What do you guys think about, I guess, after Vatos, we... We'll get into it, but they keep building the myth of Merle. 
So it might have come off as a little strange maybe after Guts he's talking about. But now they continue to grow this, uh, you know, this legend of how tough Merle is. So I think it's building to something. No, yeah, I would, I would say so. I, I kind of like that. I kind of like that they didn't just dump him into the episode so we could see what's going on. That they kind of are leaving it hanging to where we're wondering, you know, what's going on? What's he doing? What's he up to? Um, so I thought that was, I thought that was a good move. Uh, there was the question early on from a lot of people all over the place of. Why in the world would you bring Merle with you on your venture into the city? I think now we know, yeah, he might be slightly unstable, but both him and his brother, they are tough sons of guns. Uh, I'd want them on my side in a fight, even if they are jerks, you know. They're still, uh, they're very powerful, and uh, man, can they kill some zombies. The other thing I wanted to address from Daryl's voicemail was um, he mentioned how, you know, he was enjoying that uh, they were changing so much from the comic. And I think we all agree. There have been, like, some tweets and stuff saying that the comic, some comic fans are pissed that they're going off, you know, in their own direction. But I really wouldn't want to know what's happening every step of the way. Yeah, me either. I mean, I've, I've said it before on this show. I've said it on our other show, Legion of Dudes, that I don't necessarily want to see a direct one-to-one, word-for-word, shot-for-shot translation of really anything. I mean, I think it's important to keep the beats. It's important to get the characters down. But to me, I want to see something different. I want to see something that I don't want to know what's around every corner. I don't want to know what's you know ahead of, of everything going on. I want to be surprised. I want to have some reason to watch this other than you know knowing what's coming. So I appreciate it. I, I really do. Definitely. I mean, there there are some comics, there are some stories for sure that you need certain plot points to happen in a certain way because, you know, there's a metaphor there or there's something that's integral to the story. But The Walking Dead is different from a lot of comics and stories in that it's more about just those individual characters and what they have to go through. You know, it doesn't matter if, you know, 10% of the trials are different as long as they're still being put through those trials and tested as human beings. All right. So thanks again, Daryl, and here's another quick one. Hey, guys, this is Melissa, the girl of mayhem, and I just wanted to call and give you some feedback on the Walking Dead podcast. I just want to let you guys know I really appreciate the style in which you do your recap. It's really similar to mine. You guys are really detailed in them, which is something I strive for on the Girl of Mayhem podcast, which is, of course, about Sons of Anarchy. So it's really nice to listen to a podcast such as yours about a show I'm not so familiar with, um, and really get that detail. I also want to tell you guys how much I appreciate how hard you guys work, because I know how difficult it is to get a podcast out right after a show airs. Um, so I don't blame you guys at all for switching to recording on Sundays to Mondays. It's a tough job, and it's one that you don't really get paid for, so I totally understand that. Um, I also wanted to note that I'm surprised at like how many people are new to the concept of The Walking Dead, I mean, myself included, um, but it's interesting to hear all your feedback and all these people saying that, you know, they didn't read the the books either. So I don't feel so alone. So that's really cool as well. I want to make a note. You guys mentioned in one of the podcasts, and I forget which one because I kind of did a marathon yesterday, that you guys were talking about how people may switch their allegiance to characters like they like them now, but they might not like them later and vice versa. And I really think that's a mark of a good show. And so I'm really interested to see where this show goes and if it does that exact thing where you kind of switch which characters you care more about or like or dislike. 
Um, and I just want to mention I, that I found you guys, of course, through Twitter. Um, I believe I tweeted something about the show, and you guys started following me, and we've had great conversations. So thank you so much for being interactive with your fans, and I know I appreciate everything you do, and I'm sure all the other listeners do too. Great job, guys. Talk to you soon. Well, thank you very hey, much. Hey, wait a second. Yeah. Uh, did she say we're not getting paid for this? We are not getting paid for this. <sighs> Whatever. You're so the high check. paid on your other shows, I could understand your disappointment. Yeah. The check is in the mail. So that is uh, Melissa from the uh, Girl of Mayhem podcast, as she mentioned, which is a very cool Sons of Anarchy show. We've mentioned it a bunch of times, and we thanks for thank her for her voicemail. I definitely think that there's going to be some allegiance switching as far as fans go. There's so many gray area characters. I mean, we talk about it a little bit with uh, Irony Singleton, Last show, and if anybody's listening for the first time here, you might want to go back at least one show and hear our interview with T-Dog himself, uh, Mr. Irony Singleton. Uh, He's just one example. You know, there are so many characters that could go either way right now that I could see flip-flopping a lot. Yeah, me as well. You know, especially they're going to bring more characters in, and as the tension ramps up, as as they bring, I'm sure they're going to bring more in and, and they're going to interact with other people. Um, the way that certain characters will probably, you know, react to new characters coming in or them, inter- you know, interacting with these other characters. I, I imagine the way that they are now and all civil with each other may not um, turn out that way. And that's, I mean, that's not foreshadowing anything from the book, but just knowing, you know, knowing the way the show's going and knowing, you know, you know, what's to come. Alrighty then. Russ, how about some iTunes reviews and then we'll get into Vatos? Sounds good. We've got we've got actually a bunch of iTunes reviews. So first of all, I want to thank everybody that took the time out to go onto iTunes and to not only just leave us a rating but but write a little blurb for it too. That helps a lot. Um, and we've we've had awesome response. So, you know, for those of you that haven't, it just takes a minute, you know, pop on over to iTunes and uh, and, and leave us a review. So the first one is from Harley Big Daddy, and uh, this is by far the best Walking Dead podcast out. You want a complete and thorough review of each episode and great commentary, these are your guys. Each episode is great information and sheds light on the story without giving away anything via spoiler info from the books. Don't forget to follow the Walking Dead podcast at Twitter, at WDTV Podcast. Keep up the great work, guys. Awesome. Yes, yeah, big, big Twitter supporter as well. So thanks to him. And that's just, you know, we're trying to build a little community here, and and uh, it's going really well. Big Harley Daddy is from, you know, the Sons of Anarchy group, and we're all kind of commiserating now, and uh, a lot of them are watching Walking Dead, and we're meeting them on Twitter and stuff, and it's a good deal. The next iTunes reviews is from Ed H. Rez, and it just says, where's episode 9, WTF? <laughs> so obviously he was... Uh, he was, he was wanting his fix, and uh, so by now this will be episode 11. So hopefully we cranked out 10 fast enough for you there. Yeah, I think 9 and 10 came out uh, in pretty rapid succession. So we may be late again. You never know, but sorry. Next one is our friend um, at the Girl of Mayhem, who we just heard from. Uh, this is a very well-done podcast where the hosts are very knowledgeable about the topic. All of the hosts are well-spoken and have something to contribute. The sound quality is very good. I found the interview so far fascinating. As someone who has only seen a handful of zombie movies and never read the comics, I have to say that I have learned a lot. I enjoy The Walking Dead immensely, and this podcast only enhances my view on the show. Check it out for sure if you watch the show or read the graphic novels. She's talking all about you, Brad. 
absolutely. Is he fumbling for the mute button, or is he, <laughs> did he fall asleep? I, no, I'm here. I'm not. I I'm sorry. I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> next. All right. Next one is from Steve OU2. This is becoming one of my favorite podcasts out there. I love the structure of the show. You guys really know what you're doing. I appreciate that you guys mention the books, but don't spoil anything. I'm a newbie to The Walking Dead world, so I don't know anything about the books, so adding this podcast to the show is awesome. I'll keep listening to the show between the break, and once again, thanks. So rather than to go on and just seem like we're being overly self-aggrandizing, I'll just leave it to say that we've got a bunch of five-star reviews from The Crippled Avenger, which is Lucas, our our uh, fellow listener and forumite um, from the Handycast, and uh, he's, he's been a big supporter of, of our podcasts from day one. So, so thank you there. Um, Loki Beat, another, again, another five-star review. Uh, Joe Jans, another five-star review. Again, another, another one of our kind of old, old uh, listeners from, from way back when. And uh, 80s Junkie, Mr. Dennis, uh, thanks again for the five-star review. Um, so we really appreciate those guys. Uh, it, it helps us get noticed. It helps the show get out there, and we really, really appreciate it. Yeah, and one last thing before we start uh, talking about the episode. The Podcast Awards nominations have closed. We appreciate everybody. It doesn't really matter uh, whether we get nominated or not. We just want to thank everybody that did. Uh, I know from Twitter that some people had mentioned that uh, they did throw us in for some nominations. So thanks to all those guys, and uh, you never know. Do you have your speech prepared, John, for, you know, if something happens? Uh, I do, but I have to consume a lot of alcohol, and it has to be on, like, a rated R show. Uh, should I get my tux dry clean, do you think? <laughs> it's probably time. You haven't worn it since the prom. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Let's do some vatos. All right, vatos. Uh, did anybody do any, re- and I'm embarrassed that I don't know. Uh, what vatos means is it just like dude yeah yeah it's i guess it's a like hispanic slang for you know buddy dude guy you know friend whatever vatos was written by robert kirkman and I, I don't know about you guys but this this really felt to me like even more so like an episode uh, like an issue of the walking dead than the previous episode maybe because it was penned by robert kirkman yeah, for sure. All right, so we start with Andrea and Amy fishing, and they're talking about uh, they're they're picking on each other because they're both fishing a certain way that the other one has a question about. Like, why are you doing that? Dad taught us this way, and they're like, "No, Dad taught me this way. Why are you doing it that way?" So, long story short, it turns out in the middle of this sisterly bonding, they realize that their their dad each taught them a certain way to fish based on their personality. Andrea was the go-getter. It was all about setting the hook and getting the fish and capturing it. And Amy was all about catch and release. So, you know, he, he understood his daughters and he based they're 12 years apart. We find out. So he, he based his, his, uh, schooling of them, pardon the pun in, in the fishing ways of fishing, depending on their personality. So they have some bonding about that. Uh, they, they start to wonder, you know, mom and dad were in Florida. I wonder if it was as hit as hard as it is here. And then they start to get emotional, no crying, 
don't forget the no crying in the rule in the boat rule. And one of them says, I have a feeling that was more for dad than it was for us. So that's the little scene ends with this beautiful wide shot from way up above of this huge pond that they're in. Beautiful blue pond, the small little boat. The camera tilts up and pans over to the left. And we see Dale standing on the RV, ever vigilant, watching for everything. He trains his binoculars on Jim, who's up on a hill. And he's digging. We can tell he's digging. We cut to to Jim, and we see that he's digging a bunch of holes in the ground that appear to be graves. They could be graves. We don't know. There's a bunch of holes, but I took it to be graves. The way they were, like, long ways, they seem to be graves right away. I, I don't know if we were supposed to be guessing, but, I mean, I didn't think he was, like, planting trees or anything. I, I don't know what else you yeah. could come up with besides graves. <laughs> yeah, he's I, like, don't you guys remember it's Arbor Day? Yeah. Yeah, that's the first thing I thought of was Graves. Going back to the Amy and Andrea scene, did that um, work for everybody? It worked because of, of Kirkman's writing style. I, and again, I think maybe my bias kind of came in, in in a good way because that's definitely the back and forth, the kind of banter, that almost Bendis style of writing to me just fit, um, fit well. And knowing how the episode ended, I think it's one of those where – when you get to the end, because of the emotional setup of the beginning, it hits you like a sledgehammer. Um, so to me, it was it was brilliant. I had no problem with the writing. Uh, I, I think it was more some of the acting, mostly from Amy in the scene. It just I didn't buy some of the lines, and they were written fine. And I understand certainly the emotional significance of the scene and why it was important. Um, but even on my second read or second watch of the episode, because I'd read a couple reviews and stuff that really liked the scene, and I was like, okay, I just must have missed it. And I don't know, it just parts of it did not work for me. Others were really good, but it was inconsistent. All right, so then we have our lovely open that we've all come to know and love. Uh, Jordan, did you notice anything different about the music on this one? I listened to it. Uh, I didn't pick any out, and there's nothing in the blog this week about it. But I figure at the end of the season, I'll probably cut the audio from all six and play them back to back and see what I can find. Yeah, I did not notice anything as well. Uh, he did have an interesting note, though, that most of the music for this episode was in 13-8, which is kind of a bizarre musical uh, time signature for anybody who's a musician out there. Yeah, that is pretty bizarre, actually. The most bizarre one I've ever heard about. Oh, never mind. We could talk about music theory all day. <laughs> We're not here to talk about musical theory. All right, so after the open plays, we've got our commercial, and then we pick back up uh, in Atlanta with our heroes, uh, and this scene picks right up, picks up right where episode three leaves off. We see Merle's hand. We see the cuffs dangling. And of course, Daryl's pissed. He turns and points his crossbow right at T-Dog's head. And Rick immediately puts his pistol to Daryl's head. Says, I won't hesitate. Daryl thinks about it a bit, lowers his, his crossbow and asks T-Dog for a do-rag or something. And he ends up wrapping his brother's hand in it. And uh, I think it might have even have been Daryl that said the saw blade was too soft for the cuffs. Yeah. You'd be correct. That, yeah. So, and, and we, had, we had wondered about that. I know it, maybe not on air, but I know off air in emails perhaps we had talked about that. So they did address that. Here it is, another uh, example of them actually addressing things that people like us would would wonder so that's cool um it's really amazing how it it happens a show later every time like thing you know you know what i'm saying like things that happened in episode two that we were worried about they like address it in episode three 
and, and, and now they're addressing what happened in three and four, and it's almost like we're getting baited. Like, let's see if we can make the internet boys, you know, try to poke holes in our plot, and then we'll just give them the answer the next show. It's probably not that, but that's how it seems. No, no, I would agree. It, it does seem like that. It's, it's happened more than once, let's put it that way. All right, so uh, we pick up... <clears throat> pardon me. So I don't remember if I said this. Daryl puts the hand in Glenn's backpack. Glenn does not look too thrilled about it. T-Dog picks up Dale's tools while Rick and the rest follow Merle's blood trail. Then we cut back to camp. Jim is digging, 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 digging. Dale arrives and says, are you okay, dude? Uh, here, have some water. Jim looks at Dale, doesn't say anything, goes back to digging. At this point, Dale starts to look a bit concerned and confused. I'm not sure which one is the more of, though. And he wanders off. We, and these are some quick cuts. The story is happening in little chunks, back and forth, back and forth, which is interesting. I think it kind of keeps the pace going pretty good. We'll cut back to downtown. They're making their way down some stairs. Daryl is in the lead. He puts an arrow in a zombie's head. A wicked gross zombie, by the way. Probably one of the grossest zombies yet on the show, don't you think? Yeah, they, they had uh, highlighted that one. I'm going to say on the website where they showed some close-ups, or it might have been a third-party like third party website that just had gotten some preview images, and they showed how like her tongue was blown out of her. I guess she was missing her bottom lip and like part of the jaw, and so her tongue is just kind of like hanging out. Yeah, it almost looked like she didn't make it out of Jigsaw's first trap that we ever saw in uh, the very first <laughs> Saw movie, the one that, that rips the jaws open. Mm-hmm. Also reminded me of there's a scene in The Grudge or The Grudge 2 where one of the ghosts is missing her lower jaw. That always freaked me out as a kid. I will thank you never to mention The Grudge again. I wasn't a big fan of the movie, but that one particular scene did freak me out. Well, well that's, that's the scariest movie I've ever seen is The Grudge. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought you were wow. saying it's crappy. And I was like, okay. No, 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 no. It it literally scared me out of my seat. I'm not exaggerating. At one point in the movie, I jumped out of my seat, landed in the woman's lap next to me, and screamed <laughs> like a girl. Wow. See, yeah. That movie didn't scare me at all. What scared me more was the fact that Jordan prefaced all this with when I was a kid. Well, I was like 13 or 14 or something. <laughs> oh, much to learn they have. I, I stand by my statement. <laughs> So they get to the bottom of the of the stairs, and uh, Daryl puts an arrow in the zombie's head, the wicked gross one that I mentioned, and uh, he makes a comment about how tough his brother is because he had, you know, he even though he's losing blood one-handed, he still took out two zombies, and he says something to the effect of, feed him a hammer and he'd crap out nails. Yeah, this is part of that legend of Merle that we were talking about during Daryl's uh, voicemail that they're just kind of building up. And, and Rick's kind of the doubting Thomas, you know. He's like, uh, oh, he's not that tough. If he loses blood, he'll pass out like any other man. You know, he keeps throwing these uh, – Daryl keeps throwing the comments in, and Rick keeps answering them. But uh, I think we're going to find out just how tough Merle is pretty soon. All right, so we cut back to camp. Amy and Andrea wander back into camp with a stringer full of juicy fish. They had great, su great success when they went fishing. And uh, Carl says, wow. And his mom grosses out. 
Yeah, I see them. They're fishy. Get them away from me. She says, well, uh, Amy says, we'll teach you, Carl, if that's okay with your mom. She says, yeah, you're not going to, you know, I'm not, I don't have a problem with it. One of the things I thought about with that scene was the balance between what she told Shane. Like she didn't want Shane, you know, around any, you know, around, she didn't want Carl around Shane with her. She wanted to make sure that Carl was always within her grasp or that, that, um, that Dale had an eye on her. And so here comes Andrea and Amy and they're like, Oh, we'll take you fishing. We'll show you how. And she's like, yeah, sure. No problem. So again, it just, it's, it, I, I took it as more that tension, um, between her and, and, uh, and Shane. Who's the, um, who's the dad? I, I Morales. guess Morales. Is that his name? I believe so. I thought that was kind of a just a cool touch that, uh, you know, when he went on about how my kids will eat tonight, you know, because of you, and I thank you for that. I don't, I don't know. Something about that scene I, I just appreciated. It gave a little bit more of, like, a real touch to how big a deal it was that they, you know, caught fish. So about this time, Dale wanders back into camp, and he says, I don't want to alarm anybody, but we may have a small problem. He points up to the hill, and Jim is off in the distance uh, digging. We cut back to Atlanta. The fellows are still following the trail of blood. And they made it to the bottom floor. And they end up in some kind of kitchen or something. And it turns out, you know, there's still some flames on the on the stove. And somebody's been doing something. And Rick, after some investigation, says, it looks like Merle has cauterized his wound. His stump. I think he says his stump. And uh, this is when Daryl says, Told you he was tough. No one can kill Merle but Merle. Yeah, Daryl awesome. obviously has a lot of faith in his brother. He sure does. Those were actually sternos that he found and lit, I think, and left around to uh, to heat yeah. up that. Uh, it's kind of hard to tell. It was kind of like a flat surface, like almost like a cake server or something. I think that was a old-fashioned iron. Okay. Yeah, like, like I think before they had electric irons. Yeah, I think Jordan's right. So, uh, you know, obviously Daryl is still worried about his brother. Rick says we'll go look for him, and T-Dog says only if we get the guns first. So we cut back to camp. Dale, Shane, and some of the group go check on Jim. Shane says, dude, you're scaring us. Why don't you take a break? You know, kind of worried about you. Jim says, dude, I'm just digging. I'm not, you know. I'm not getting in anybody's face. I'm just leave me alone. I'm just digging. What's the problem? Shane says, "You better give me the shovel before I have to take it from you." Wh- why? So it turns out, long story short, Shane takes the shovel, knocks Jim down, and handcuffs him. I thought it was interesting that Shane's got his handcuffs on him. Yeah, this whole scene was kind of interesting. You know, he brings up Ed, who who got his face beat in by by Shane earlier. So there's consequences for that. I thought Shane handled it really well, which is interesting, too, because, you know, they've kind of made him a jerk up to this point, but now he's kind of showing that he's useful in this camp still, especially with Rick, you know, going off and, and doing superhero things. Yeah, I, I, Shane started to kind of get more on the positive side for me after, after this episode and just the way he handled Jim and um, tried to, you know, be stern with him but still treat him like you know, like a human, like he's part of the group, and that they they really do care about him. So I thought that was an interesting um, sequence. The rest of this scene, I don't know. There's something about it. It's just kind of eerie to me. Uh, 
Jim's on the ground. Shane's on top of him trying to calm him down. Says, nobody's going to hurt you, Jim. Nobody's going to hurt you. And Jim says, it's a lie. It's a big lie. That's what I told my family. You know, look what happened to them. The only reason I got away is because the dead were too busy eating my family. Man, that would mess you up if you saw that happen to your family. Mm-hmm. Which obviously, which obviously explains a lot about what's going on in Jim's head right now. Yeah, and he does some more and says some more creepy things later on that I won't bring up now. I'll let you get to them. But, uh, yeah, he's definitely not right anymore. All right, so at this point we cut back to Atlanta. They're having a powwow in which Glenn is outlining a plan for retrieving the bag of guns that was still out there in the street. And uh, Daryl obviously is somewhat impressed by this, and he says, hey, Glenn, what did you do before all this happened? He says, I was a pizza delivery driver, which sheds a little light on Glenn's ability uh, to navigate the streets of Atlanta. I thought that was pretty cool. That was awesome. With the way Glenn was mapping that all out and just basically telling him this is how it's going to be, and and he's thinking two steps ahead and everything else. And the, when they asked him what he was, and he said a pizza delivery boy, and uh, and they just looked shocked. And he's like, "What? You know, he didn't. He doesn't get it. Um, he doesn't get it how cool he really is, and how how much of a tactician he is, and how much he impressed them um, with his, you know, with what he did." I thought that was just really brilliant. I I I, I think Glenn. Um, Again, is one of the is one of the characters in the show that I just I think is brilliantly cast, and I think he's doing an awesome job. Have any of you read the book uh, 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 Snow Crash? Yeah. Well, and it's kind no. of the book that one of the first books uh, the, to bring in. Um, it's called Cyberpunk. That style of writing, yeah. but the hero's name, uh, the, the main character's name is Hero Protagonist, and he is a pizza delivery man who reminds me kind of Glenn in that scene. I thought, it was, I, didn't care I thought for... it was interesting. I'm sorry, Brad. I thought it was interesting how, um, you know, we talk about gray area characters all the time, and you have T Dog and Daryl, who are kind of like these alpha male. Uh, certainly, Daryl is all hot and bothered by this whole thing with his brother and everything, but like they sat attentively and listened to Glenn, you know, and they were like visibly impressed by what he was telling them. It's just an interesting dynamic, you know, you can't put a finger on any of these characters. I was I was expecting Daryl to stand up and be like, "This is stupid. We can't do it that way. You know, we got to do it my way." Type of thing. But they just keep surprising me how they how they act. Yeah, I didn't care for Glenn's portrayal at first, but because I didn't think he was, he didn't come across to me as anything like he like the character I was used to from reading the books. But I have I have I would say I've, I'm officially a Glenn fan now. I think he really. Like Russ said, he really kind of badassed it up. You might not use that word, but that's what you're, you know. Yeah, yeah. One so, of us. One of us. <laughs> so uh, um, Glenn and Daryl head off in one direction. Rick and T-Dog head off in the other direction. Glenn and Daryl make it to uh, the fence line, and Glenn leaves the safety of the fenced-in area to go grab the bag of guns. And he starts attracting zombies' attention. Daryl stays behind on guard and meets uh, the first Vato, who ends up, his name is, uh, didn't he end up being named Miguel? Miguel or Miguelito, which would be Mike or Little Mike. Yeah. Uh, and immediately, Miguel starts yelling, Ayúdame, which means help me in Spanish. I was wondering what that meant. <laughs> he kept yelling, yeah. and I'm like, is that 
is that gibberish or was that a phrase? I thought he was saying, "Are you the man?" I'm not no, saying. No, he's saying, "Are you the man?" He's screaming. He's help he's me, yelling, "Ayuda, ayudame!" In Spanish, that means "help me." It makes these, sense. Hey, I just Brad, couldn't understand it when it was happening. These guys need to spend more time in the south, obviously. Obviously, ayudame, ayudame, help me, help me. Russ, I'll have uh, you know, I failed my way through two semesters of Spanish in college. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so he's he's attracting the attention of his of his friends. Here comes more of them. Uh, Glenn, you know, in the meantime, is is trying to uh, get back inside the fence. The second and third vatos come running up to help uh, Miguel. They tackle Glenn because he's holding the bag. Daryl, after re- receiving a beating from Vatos 2 and 3, he ends up shooting one in the leg with, uh, with his crossbow. Some more Vatos drive up on the other side of the fence. In a car, they, they leave the bag of guns because it's fallen on the ground. They take Glenn and hop in the car and they drive away. I think he was shot in the posterior. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. In the lower buttock. Yes. Which I have a great theory someone passed on to me that I will relate about that later on in the episode. Cool. Rick and T-Dog catch up. Uh, Glenn has been kidnapped, and then they they all end up and leave with uh, Miguel in tow. They've got their own prisoner. As we hear later, they got one of theirs, and... We have one of yours, so commercial. We come back and we're now we're back at camp. Jim is uh sitting on his lower buttock tied to a tree. <laughs> Shane Shane walks up, gives him some water and a pep talk. You know, pours some water on his head. Jim at this point is starting to uh calm down a bit. And uh he addresses uh Sophie um see uh, Carol and and uh, Lori, who are homeschooling their kids at the picnic table, he says, sorry, I scared your kids. Dale comes up and says, why were you digging? Jim says, well, I had a reason, but I don't remember. Something I dreamt, I think. He ends up talking to Carl a little bit and says, your dad's tough. He's going to be fine. When Jim starts talking to Carl and Lori kind of steps in and says, I don't think you should be talking about that or whatever, I, I had a moment of... Uh, Holly Hunter from Raising Arizona when the the prisoners come and they start saying something and she just kind of snaps at him like, you know, mind your business or whatever she says to him to that I'm like that's inappropriate or whatever. It just I don't know why. It just struck me. It's another creepy gym moment there when he's talking to Carl. Yeah. Yeah, you can't you, you can't you want to you know, as a viewer, you want to and a human being, you want to believe that Jim is he's going to be okay. You want to believe he's kind of realizing what he's done. Maybe he's calming down. But yeah, the way he was talking, not necessarily for me, not necessarily the way he was looking at Carl, but just the general, his general attitude and presence of mind. Yeah, it was a creepy, it was a little creepy thing when he was talking to Carl. So we cut back to Atlanta. Rick and company are interrogating Miguel. Uh, He's not cooperating Daryl gets the idea to show him Merle's hand, says, this is what I did to the last guy who crossed me, which was I thought was brilliant, just brilliant. Mm-hmm. That, 
that to me though says a lot about him and his brother, or maybe at least just him, that they talk a big game. And yeah, we've definitely seen that they're very adept at killing zombies, but they might not be quite the uh, the badasses that they make themselves out to be. You know what I mean? Where it's like they'll use the, they'll use the situation and whatever's at hand to make themselves seem more powerful than they actually are. I I think that might be just the theme of this episode in general. Is is that is posturing? Oh, you good point. Yeah, but yeah, definitely. Daryl, it just struck me. Uh, when when you said how good they were at killing zombies, uh, they totally remind me of uh, Woody Harrelson in Zombieland. Now that you mention it, mm-hmm. <laughs> the kind of like redneck, you know, great zombie, zombie killer. killer of the week, right there. Yeah. After conferring a little more, they decide to go back to the Vato's place to make a trade, Guillermo for Glenn, Miguel. Uh, thank you. I'm looking at my notes here. To make a trade, Miguel for Glenn. Uh, they approach the place, and uh, the head Vato comes out. His name is Guillermo. He says, no to the offer. Where are my guns? Rick says, they're not your guns. They're mine. You're mistaken. Guillermo, turns out, has uh, Glenn on the roof. And with the implication that if you don't bring me my guns, we will throw your buddy off the roof. You come back with Miguel and my guns, or you come back locked and loaded, and we'll see who sheds more blood. That was a nice nice little surprise seeing uh, T-Dog up on the roof. Yeah, the, uh, sniping, you mean? Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. I also like how he was very... an unwilling participant in that. You know, he he was hoping that everything was just going to go smooth and he wouldn't have to do anything, and he kept... I forget what his exact words were, but it was just like, you know, please let everything be okay. Please let everything be okay. You know, he didn't want to have to pull that trigger. Um, so I thought that was that was interesting. Here you got this this big guy and, um, you know, very commanding presence when he's on screen. But yet, you know, he really doesn't – you know, it's one thing to, to, to knock off a bunch of zombies and to protect yourself that way. But he really doesn't want to have to shoot another human. I think he was saying something like, make the trade, make the trade. Yeah, yeah. So – Everybody leaves, uh, keeping their back away from each other. Uh, they go back, they regroup, and Rick says he's not leaving Glenn there because Glenn helped him out when he was stuck in the tank. He could have left. Glenn didn't. I'm not going to leave Glenn. After some him and Han, the rest decide, yeah, we're going to stay and help Rick. So they head back, ready to shoot it out. Rick ain't giving him the guns, but he's not going to sit there and just let him have Glenn. This is where the only complaint I have in the story of this episode. This deuce, how do you say this? Deuce ex machina? Deus Deus ex ex machina. Thank you. I don't speak French. Deus (laughs) ex machina shows up in the form of Guillermo's abuela, which is grandmother in Spanish. I thought it was uh, Felipe's grandmother. I took it as they were I, all just I, calling her grandma. Yeah, I think Maybe I, so. I just took, I just took it. It was generic, like she's the old woman. They just call her abuela just because she's somebody's grandmother, and and they're taking care of her. I I and I could be maybe I just didn't pay attention to the fine points, but I just took it as kind of the generic respectful. That's just what they call her. Yeah, I don't know for a fact. You know, I was assuming it was somebody's grandmother, but you're you. I have a feeling you're you're probably correct especially in light of what we discover here in a couple of minutes. 
Um, she sees Rick. She says, who's that? Uh, long story short, she ends up taking Rick by the hand to, to take him to the Asian boy. And Rick finds out that all these vatos, these tough Mexican dudes, are just protecting the residents of an old folks' home that the staff ended up abandoning when the zombie uh, apocalypse happened. And, you know, this is the one thing about the episode that screamed Robert Kirkman to me. When a situation has presented itself and you assume it's going to go one way, and then, boom, it does a 180, and you turn out that nothing is as it seems. Yeah, I had a lot of mixed emotions um, in the scene. At first, I, I really liked the tension that was building up, you know, who was going to blink. And when the, when, when, the old, when the old woman came in, and then it was like, oh, they're taking care of these old folks, I kind of was like, wah, wah. And it, it just it seemed like a little hokey to me, but... By the end, the way that um, that Guillermo explained it, and the way that he, you know, talked about it, it it made a lot more sense to me. And I was like, okay, I can buy that because basically, what they're you know they're saying is we have even even if we're not really willing to go f- through with it, we have to we have to make everybody think that we're going to go through with this because if we're not if we don't toughen up and man up, that we're going to get bulldoze over and all these people are going to die i think it's some it's a scene that really has to play out you know like when when like you said when they're having that standoff and the grandmother comes out you know the first reaction is like what you know these gangster guys are gonna are gonna have this happen but then you as it goes on you find out they're not gangster guys they're janitors and uh nurses and you know, basically the staff of the hospital that are picking up other people that want to help them out. The only thing that didn't ring true for me was why would they kidnap Glenn? Like, that didn't seem like, well, I guess you could say that they wanted the guns, right. But, the guns, but yeah. for a group that really was just putting up the front for being tough guys to protect themselves, it seemed like a little extreme that they would kidnap Glenn. But I, I guess the guns are that, you know, like they say in the episode, the guns are gold, right? So, well, not only that, but right, they don't, they don't know those guys. They don't know Rick and his crew, and I think that was kind of a hedge as well. It was the guns and a hedge, their bet, because if those guys came in and wanted to raid their supplies and raid their medicine and raid whatever else, they had that kind of ace in the hole, which was Glenn. So I think it was kind of a double, you know, way to cover themselves in, in two different ways. You know, Rick Rick looks at Guillermo and he says, dude, we were ready to come in here and kill every last one of you. And it goes back to what to what Russell said earlier about the theme of this show, this episode, you know, is about, you know, being something you're not or trying to put up a front and pretend you're something that you're not. So I, I liked the scene and it I didn't have a problem with it other than grandma appearing out of nowhere. But, you know, it, it, it ended up making sense to me, kind of like, uh, like John said. So after uh, talking it out with Guillermo, Rick agrees to give him some guns to help with the protection of the old folks. And uh, Rick and everybody start to walk back to where they left their van and find it, it's gone. And uh, somebody's like, 
why would anybody want to take this or who would have taken it? And Rick says, Merle took it. And Daryl says, Oh, I feel sorry for your people at the camp. Cause you know, Daryl's going to take it out, take out his anger on them. Merle. Merle. Thank you. <laughs> why, why couldn't they be like David and Jonathan, you know, something easy to remember. Frank and Brad. Right, exactly. I was going to go there, but then I thought, no, that's a bit self aggregate. I can't say that word. French again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we cut back to camp at this point. Angela is rummaging around the Winnebago looking for wrapping paper of some kind to wrap Amy's gift because tomorrow is her birthday. The gift, if correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it that little uh, necklace thing that she took in episode two? Yeah. Yeah, it's that uh, mermaid she was picking out while the zombies were banging on the door. <laughs> right. Uh, Shane's talking to Jim. You know, I hope you understand why we had to do this. Jim really, even more, seems to be in control of himself and, you know, says, hey, I get it. I understand. I'm cool. Shane lets him up says, why don't you come and enjoy the fish fry with us? Cut to Ed's tent where Carol and Sophia are bringing him some water, and she says, why don't you come join us? And he says, nah, screw you, screw them, I'm staying here in the tent. You know, he's, obviously his pride is hurt. Man, his face was messed up. Yes. Okay, real quick, did you did you think they were alluding to the fact that there was something very wrong going on with Ed and Sophia? Absolutely. Most definitely. Yeah, that really skeeved me out. When he grabbed her hand and said, stay with me, and then, and then Carol kind of said, no, she wants to you know, join the rest, I was like, ooh. You know what? That never, never, uh, never occurred to me. And uh, I don't know if I'm, I should be happy about that or embarrassed that I didn't think that. And to me, it continued to paint Shane in a better light. Because, you know, he beat the crap out of this guy, and this guy needed to have the crap beat out of him. At least. You remember last episode, he specifically said, you lay a hand on your wife or daughter. Do you think people in the camp had a sense that that was going on? Might have. I thought he said wife or anyone else. That's that's pretty messed up. Yeah, I don't think if they knew that was actually going on while they were there that that they would have let it go. But yeah, but it just, yeah, that whole scene just really gave me the creeps. I was like, oh, now obviously some time has passed. Darkness has fallen. Everybody's sitting around the campfire enjoying some fish. And uh, what was the dad's name? You said his name earlier. That was Morales. Yeah. Morales says, Dale, I got to ask you, man, why you wind that watch every day, you know, for all intents and purposes, time has come to a standstill it's not that important anymore and dale uh, very long windedly uh and somewhat eloquently explains why he winds his watch and why it's still important to him Uh, I, i gotta say that i have not had a problem with the acting in this show at all as as brad i think you mostly um had mentioned earlier and and some of us did as well with some different uh, people early on in the show, but that being said, Jeffrey Demun absolutely schooled everyone on the screen in that yep. scene. He and was also, flat out his, awesome. 
His teeth are perfect. I noticed that the second watch through, he <laughs> has the most obnoxiously perfect teeth I've ever seen. They're like uniform in shape and size and everything. How funny. <laughs> he kept smiling so you could just see the top row of teeth. It was like, that's weird. No one should have that perfect teeth. And it's funny. I know we've, we've beat it to death, but Jeffrey DeMunn is not who I picture when I think of a live action version of Dale. But it, you know, again, beating a dead horse, but it just works so well. Whereas with Jim, Jim, the guy playing Jim is exactly like I would picture Jim if he were in real life. I think he's, he's maybe the closest to his, to his cohort in the live action ver- version that I've seen so far. Maybe Glenn um, and maybe Andrea, but that's a, I think Andrea is a bit of a stretch because I think she's a little older than they play her off in the, in the book. Yeah, same thing with Carl. He looks just like him, but older. Right. Yeah, Jim, yeah that's a good point, Carl. Jim, it literally is a comic book panel come to life. Yeah. I think and I agree. I agree. Dale, uh, Dale, Jeffrey DeMunn, you know, he, that was a fantastic scene. Amy gets up to excuse herself to use the restroom, and we cut to Ed's tent, and uh, we see a silhouette and a shadow of somebody rummaging up against a tent. He thinks it's uh, one of his family come to check on him to try to get him to join the group. Turns out it's not. It's a zombie. And he eats Ed. Amy comes out of the camper to complain about the lack of toilet paper. And Amy gets bit. This is when hell breaks loose. It just, the gates open. It is zombie city. We should yeah, note that this- the zombie who bites Amy is, again, uh, Greg Nicotero, and he's much more recognizable this time, but uh, he's definitely the one who bites her arm and later neck. Nice. Again, not to get too far into the comic, but this is, this is what if, – if you, if you haven't read the book, and I know we talk about it all the time, but if you decide to pick up the book, this is the kind of stuff that goes on in the book. This is like – verbatim this is i mean not as not as far as who gets killed and you know all that kind of thing but just quiet moment everybody's fine things are calm and then boom you know like like brad said all hell breaks loose and people start getting bit and craziness and shooting and everything else going on this episode makes me wish more than ever before watching this show that i never read the book Mm, good point you know because I had a feeling that this scene was going to happen in this episode because of the sisterly bonding at the very beginning of the of the episode. Um and, you know, a little more little more bonding when they bring the fish back to camp, you know, the oh it's Amy's birthday tomorrow. You know, we know from reading the book that Amy gets killed fairly early in the story. And uh you know, so I saw this coming, but still, it was just like watching the comic book come to life. Between the bonding and the getting up and going to the bathroom by yourself, <laughs> at, at that point, it was like, all right, sweetie, your time has come. Yeah. Man, zombies are everywhere. Red shirts are biting it left and right. Everybody's got a gun, is shooting. Rick and company apparently have been walking home from downtown Atlanta this whole time because it cuts to them. They hear the gunshots. Rick says, oh, my God, and they start to run to camp. Jim and uh, Morales have baseball bats and are going to town 
on these zombies' heads. And uh, it's really interesting the way this scene was shot because you get a lot of blood spatter on the camera. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed yeah, it was that too. extremely chaotic. Like I thought it was really effective in conveying exactly the fear and um, the sense of I don't know what's going to happen next that the characters would be going through. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not too sure. I breathed at all during the scene. Oh man! And one of the other things is that it's hard to convey this in the book. Is when when like Carl is just like crying and screaming, and everyone is is screaming, and there's all the chaos. That is. That's something that definitely translates better to film than it does to the you know sequential page. I mean, as good as as good as a job as as in this case Tony Moore and and Kirkman did, and then even later Charlie Adler. You know, when things like this happened further on, it, it's nothing compared to camera movements and people screaming and you know seeing it play out in real you know live, so to speak. Does this happen in the uh, in the first trade? Or is yes. Yeah, I believe so. Yes, yes, Because a does. lot of people have been asking, like, you know, what what can I read between seasons and not spoil too far ahead? And Well, it's like I said last episode or two episodes ago. If they keep the tempo up that they have, you know, readers in the off-season aren't going to get a whole lot of books to read if they don't want to go past where the show is. Yeah, and I think there's going to be some very clear divergence that if you read even the first trade there's going to be some significant difference between even the first and second trade and what's going to happen in the first and second season so yeah it's a tough call i think i think i think it's just one of those deals where you just got to bite the bullet either you enjoy what you're seeing in the tv show you may or may may not have read the first trade and if you're if um you know you'll have to make the decision whether you want to just keep reading or or not I'd say it definitely your mileage will vary too in that, you know, I've read the whole series. I read the first trade. Well, whenever we read it, I think it was episode one or two. And I had already forgotten a lot of the stuff that happened. So if you are a person with a memory akin to mine, it might not bother you at all. You know, I remember some of the bigger things, but most of the nuances, I didn't remember that uh, Amy died this early on. It didn't affect me at all. It was kind of a nice surprise at the end of the episode. Yeah, see, I'm and I'm kind of like you. I read so many comics a month that it's easy for it to get caught in the fog. But I've read, I think, the first trade of this thing four times, five times, maybe. Um, so it's 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 it was a little more clear to me. But I mean, I plowed through. I kind of played catch up, and I think I pl- plowed through the first forty eight issues of this series like super quick. I mean, really fast. Like where I was reading whole trades in one sitting. Yeah, I'll, I do that all the that time. Much. Yeah. Speaking of trades, we should mention that trade number 13 comes out in stores Wednesday. Uh, that would be Wednesday the 24th if anyone wants to pick it up. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be there to pick that up. Me as well. So uh, Rick and company arrive as the others are crowded around in a little group trying to make it to the Winnebago, get in the camper. Rick and everybody that has a gun are taking out zombies left and right. Meanwhile, Amy continues to be the main course for this one particular zombie. She gets a really nasty chunk bitten out of her neck. Uh, Once all the zombies are taken care of, Andrea rushes over to Amy, cradles her. There's a really long scene with the two of them. You know, I understand, but I think it probably was a little long. I thought she was going to bring back to life. Well, I, I kept... I kept wondering, okay, her eyes are going to close, and now she's going to come back to life. You know, it was one of those deals. Like, yeah. 
You know, I have and, a feeling that might start episode five. Yeah, it might. And all of a sudden, and and just for clarification, and I'm not asking, so please don't answer. I don't remember if if that happens in the comic, whether she comes back to life or not. So I'm I'm glad I don't remember. Um, but that reminds me, back at the very beginning when they're fishing, and uh, you can you can hear uh, a fish hit and pull the line. Amy or Andrea says, "Looks like you got a bite." Was I the only one that thought perhaps she was going to reel in a zombie? No, yeah, I definitely uh, thought she like snagged something dead in the water that she was going to maybe pull up a hand or an arm or something like that. I was actually yeah, thinking yeah. last episode when uh, when Shane was in the water trying to get the frogs to Carl, I was waiting for something to come out of the water at that point. Well, how about just the line "You've got a bite" for foreshadowing? Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, that yeah, is definitely Kirkland style humor too. That's the kind of thing yeah. you throw in. Yeah, I, I I found that ending scene very. It was like hard to watch. Yeah, you know, it was just very gut wrenching, and and again because they set so much of this up early on for you to get so attached to these two characters and and for them to be so close and um, you know kind of setting them both up as being main characters. It was it was hard. Um, it it was hard. It was hard to watch. And kudos yeah. to Lori Holden who played uh, who plays Andrea. I mean she. Yeah. She, you know, wrote the book on that scene right there. I mean, she was crying, and and I mean, lots of actors can cry, but she was really, really uh, doing it well in that that scene. So, Amy finally falls still, and we cut to Jim, and he says, "I remember my dream now. Why I dug the holes." And it cuts to the final shot of the show, which is a shot of all the survivors gathered in a group, surrounded by dead bodies. Zombie and and non-zombie alike. And the last thing I thought at this point when I saw this is still no Merle. Merle hadn't made it back to the camp yet, so that's still an unanswered Well, have you guys heard the theory about that? There's a couple different ones floating around. One that I had in my video review, which is uh, slightly comic spoilery, so I won't go into that. But the other one, and I don't subscribe to this theory, but I maybe could see it happening, is that... Merle loaded up zombies into the box truck and let them loose on the camp. Now, I'm not saying I subscribe to that, but it's it's out in a lot of places. Wow. A lot of people are really subscribing to that theory. We actually have a voicemail that we'll do in a little bit that's uh, similar to that. Yep. Well, wow. then I will for, defer to the voicemail then. I don't think so because there was no separation in that box truck between the, uh, the driver's seat and the back of the truck. And that would be kind of problematic. But uh, we'll see. So... Fade to black. I'm giving this episode four and a half busters. Still no buster, by the way. I was looking for him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm right around there. I'm 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 still at four, four and a half. I'm trying to think if I liked it better than last week. I think I liked it a little better than last week. I think again, pilot awesome. Guts up and down, and these next two have really uh have really gone in the right direction. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say solid four and a half. I, this is very, I, I, I think if it wasn't for a couple miscues and some kind of weird acting and a little disjointedness, I think, I think on the direction side early on, this probably would have been a five. Yeah, R- Johan Rank uh, tore it up this time directing. I will give it a solid 4.75. I, I think I'll take off that quarter point just for the first scene and some of the stuff that didn't work for me. But otherwise, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. Very cool. How about we check in and see what some Twitter folks thought? 
Love it. Jendeev, uh, 4.5 out of 5 busters for the ending alone. Luthen, 4.5. Really liking uh, Big Bald Head, which on Twitter is Norman Reedus. Oh, um, speaking of Luthen, he's the one who passed on that particular uh, theory that I mentioned earlier that I thought I would share with you guys. He tweeted, hey, Daryl shot that guy with a tainted arrow, right? wonder if that dude will change. So he, uh, Daryl shot, was it Felipe uh, in the butt with an arrow early in the episode? And uh, then you can clearly see, because I rewatched the episode, you can clearly see Felipe limping around, holding his butt the whole rest of the episode. How much do you guys want to bet that somewhere down the line uh, he turns and uh, he kind of takes out quite a few of the old people in that nursing home, making the Vatos very angry? I wouldn't be shocked, but I would be impressed. Yeah, that'd be very, very interesting. Yeah, I think we all owe Luthen a thumbs up if that comes true. Mm-hmm. Ducky is lost, gives it 4.5 little dogs in a basket. Sadly, I don't think we'll see Buster again. Um, Bite your tongue. She also says Rick really went back for the hat with uh, with a smile. There's a couple mentions of the hat, you know, a little Indiana Jones moment type thing. Yeah, I, I forgot to mention that when Brad was doing his recap, but yeah, I just kept thinking Indiana Jones. <laughs> That was a great line from Glenn when he goes, you just came back here for your hat, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I, I really like that when, when he you know, made a point to go back for it. I, I, I didn't make the Indiana Jones connection, but it was cool you know, because that, you know, that, that's an iconic thing in the book is that hat on Rick's head the whole time. We got Harley Big Daddy checking in again with a 4.5. Damn good episode. More Norman Reedus mentions... Uh, Daryl, hands down, my favorite on the show. Badass, loving his lines. I did think Norman Reedus did a really nice job here. Um, they kind of made me nervous. I never noticed before, but in the opening of this show, I noticed that Norman Reedus got the guest tag, uh, guest starring. So I was afraid that meant that he would be leaving us soon, but I guess he's made it through to episode five at least. Uh, Texician, another great Twitter friend of ours, four out of five. It was great, but not awesome, Vato. So he likes it. I guess he liked a couple of the shows more than this one, but he still gave it a four. Bum Bum Girl, that's our friend Colleen. She gave it four and a half. Another great episode. Not to go all fangirl, but Norman Reedus was amazing yet again. Uh, he gets all the best lines. It looks like that's about it. We got some tweets from other friends, Luthen again and Groven, who's uh, Dan from San Antonio, big friend of ours. He says that we're very, uh, we're doing a lot of wishful thinking, numbering our episodes zero, zero, 001 and so forth. So I guess we're hoping for at least 100 um, shows, which would be very cool. And Speaking, uh, yeah. speaking of, of which, real quick, it looks like the numbers are still holding pretty strong. Um, from CBR posted a, a link today that showed the ratings as uh, 4.8 million, which is slightly down from last week, but better than episode two. So I think it's kind of leveling off, and it's it's still better than a lot of stuff on cable. I'll tell you that. So it's better um, than a lot of it, stuff on network television. Well, yeah, that's you got that right. So I think it's in good shape. I mean. You know, series like Mad Men and Breaking Bad, who, you know, Mad Men's going into what it's, it'll be coming into its fifth season. So, and it's survived lower ratings than this. So I, it, it I, gets like half the ratings. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this show's so just I, doing awesome. I mean, unless this thing just totally goes off a cliff, you know, between season one and season two, 
Um, I think I think we're we're in for a longer haul. I think we'll you know at least get three to four seasons, if not five or six. So I, I think it all depends on. I think if season two does as 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 season one has been or or pretty close to it, I think they'll try and lock everybody in um, for at least two to three more. Just a couple more quick ones. We have Jinxie three. That's Dawn. She says I'm still traumatized from last night's episode. Awesome cast, awesome writers, awesome show. Four and a half busters. Uh, Crash Disaster gives it a five for the ending. Again, we've heard that before. Uh, Bloody zombie attack on the camp. Holy crap. I love the twist with the Vatos. Um, So thanks to everybody. Again, uh, we got some more tweets, Zero Fights and Topher Mendoza and uh, a lot of other people that are chiming in. We appreciate it. Kyle Looks like Herbert or Abe. He could be French, Brad. It could be Kyle Abair. But he says uh, he was trying to leave a voicemail and he couldn't, so he chimed in. So, again, we apologize for that. The voicemail is all fixed now. Uh, Starbuck2212 also checked in and said uh, the show keeps getting better and better every week. So, thanks I think to I everybody. know her. What's that? I said I think I know her. I'm not 100% sure, though. I forget people's Twitter names. Well, his name is Darren. Okay, well, then I don't know him, but I'm sure you're a very nice person, Darren. Hey, can I, um, I know, like you said earlier, we had issues with the, the voicemail. I just wanted to offer the listeners another option. You know, obviously the preferable way to do it is to leave a, a voicemail at the n- number which is associated with our show. But if there's ever a time that the voicemail goes down, and let's hope there's not, you know, that was probably a fluke. But listeners are always welcome to call the voicemail line for my show, the Half Hour Wasted voicemail line, and leave a message, and I'll make sure it gets uh, to this show. Uh, it was just I'm just trying to make it easy, you know, for anybody who needs to leave a message. Uh, the number for that show is nine seven two seven nine eight three eight three zero. I don't ever expect our our uh, Walking Dead voicemail to go down again, but just in case it does, that's another option. And like I said, I'll make sure it gets uh, gets to this show. And Wait. if you don't want to pay uh, telephone rates, you can always record an MP3 and send in your voicemail to our uh, comments uh, email, comments at walkingdeadtv.com. All right, so where are we at here, fellas? Um, I know. We have a couple of Vato's voicemails now that came in after the show aired. So let's try. Oh, here's an interesting one. Let's let's check this one out. Hey there, what's up? Uh, I'm Anthony Wahado. I played Miguel last night in um, episode four of The Walking Dead Vato's. Um, yeah, man, I just wanted to call and let everyone know that, you know, everyone on set was really cool. All the other Vato's are really nice. You know, I know they look all tough and stuff, but they're all much teddy bears. But yeah, you know, um, I also just wanted to know what other people had to say about my character, you know, and so I can work on some things. But uh, that's pretty much all I have. Um, oh, I also want to know if anyone knows if Miguel comes back. So uh, y'all go ahead and, you know, reply to this so I can see what's up. Hey. All right, I'll say it. How do we know that that's not just some schmuck calling in saying he's the guy? Have we confirmed this? We have confirmed it, Brad. He also left a uh, comment on my YouTube review, youtube.com slash Jordan from Jersey, of the episode. And by following back to his page, he's actually got two two two-year-old videos of himself with a uh, drastically different haircut. You can agree with me there, John, right? And uh, it's it's definitely him. So uh, thank you for contacting the show, sir. That's very cool. I'd like to know uh, how he found out about our little show. 
and uh, we're sorry about the schmuck thing. <laughs> hey, I'll always be the guy who plays devil's advocate on this show. So that's Anthony. Did we catch the last name? Maybe we can do an IMDb. I can get you the – I can just look at my comments because he signed it. <laughs> I can get you the exact spelling. Now, I wasn't calling you a schmuck. I said, how do you know it's not some schmuck? There's a difference between you're a schmuck and some schmuck. So let's just clear that up. Let's get that on the table right now. This is Anthony Guarado. Uh, G-U-A-J-A-R-D-O. Awesome. Well, thanks for calling in, and uh, hopefully you show up again on the show. I thought it was pretty – I thought it was a funny character. Was he asking if he shows up, or was he saying he shows up? I don't know. He had a little glitch in the the voicemail there. If if you're asking, sir, we don't know because you're not a character. I assumed he wanted to know if we thought that he might be back. Um, or if we'd want to see that character back. I, guess, I thought he had a funny thing going on with Daryl. Like, every time the kid opened his mouth, Daryl would, like, you know, threaten to slap him, <laughs> and somebody I, would have to hold Daryl back. I thought it was funny. He had a he had a pair on him when he said, are you calling Guillermo a liar? You know, he's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's you know, not in a position to, to be smarting off, and yet he does. I, I really liked that. I thought that was cool. Another thing that about him that I mentioned to Russ, I think, before we started recording was he didn't he didn't look the part. Like at first I was like, is this kid really like a you know, a hardcore kind of like you know, initiate gangst gangster member or whatever? And you know, it turns out that it makes sense. No, he's not, because they're not a real tough street gang. You know, they're Yeah. Very cool. And there was another person that called immediately after him from the same area code, praising him as well. So I'm pretty sure that was his buddy, uh, which is cool. But the the quality was kind of bad on the audio. We couldn't really understand. But uh, you guys call in any time. We appreciate it. And yeah, hold. On. I'd love to see the Vatos back. I'd love to see them follow up some more. Uh, again, just a great way to to bring in some characters that that aren't in the book to give it some variety and you know I could definitely see at some point one side needing uh, something from the other or like like Jordan was saying maybe there's there's something else might be going on there and you know you just know Robert Kirkman had fun kind of you know going back in time almost and and reliving something that happened but embellishing on it and and adding things I'm sure he got a big kick out of that yeah Okay, we have one more. I think this is the one that uh, mentions Merle possibly loading the truck with uh, zombie action. Hey, guys, this is Jimmy in Georgia with a message for the Walking Dead TV podcast. I just had a thought about last night's episode. I don't know, maybe you've already talked about it since this is you know, it's a podcast, whatever, but what do you think brought the zombies to the camp? Do you think it was the car alarm uh, from like two days prior to that? Or, right, yeah, or do you think it was maybe Merle? I don't know. That was kind of my impression. Uh, I don't know why, but we know he stole the, the truck. And I'm like, well, maybe somehow he drew the zombies there or even captured some and let them loose on the camp as a revenge thing. I don't know, but that was just my random thought. Thought I'd share it. And, uh, you know, I'll look forward to hearing your show. All right, thanks. Bye. All right, thanks for that, Jim. So, yeah, there's that theory again. Um, do we have any other guesses as to, you know, are we going to even get an explanation for what led that whole pack there? Probably not, right? Just leave it to our imagination. There are a lot of ways that they could have been attracted at this point. 
I mean, I took it. I mean, again, not to spoil too much from the book, but there's a similar, you know, there is a scene similar in the book. And knowing that, again, I think this is where the bias of the book really hurts, you know, me personally as a, as a viewer, because I, ha- I bring my own biases and my own, um, you know, prejudices in, into watching the TV show. But I just took it as, okay, there's a scene similar to this in the book. So, you know, there wasn't any, you know, motivation behind it or whatnot. So I, I didn't, I didn't overthink it, I guess is what I'm saying. All right, so let's get to some emails. Jordan? Sure. We got a bunch of emails, and I'm going to have to edit them down just a little bit because they're really long. Um, First email we got was from Chris. He said, I've been very interested in The Walking Dead since the podcast started. I was interested in the series mainly because it was very different from your typical zombie show and or movie. After watching the TV episode so far, I'm enjoying it mainly because it focuses so much on the characters – and how they act, which is something you never really get from other zombie movies. I have friends that have read the comic and don't really care too much about the show, mainly because of the changes. This was especially evident in episode 4. They weren't really digging the whole nursing home aspect, and I had to enlighten them that the situation drove home the point that A. Shows Rick's character and that he's pretty consistent and willing to repay his debt uh, to, to Glenn. B. It shows how other people are surviving and that humanity isn't completely lost. C. It shows you can be a pizza boy or a janitor and still know your stuff. And D, it shows another situation of what you would do, or another crazy situation where you had to decide what you'd do in that situation, which is pretty much what the book is about. It's the character study of people acting out in a chaotic situation. Despite the book being about zombies, it really isn't. I hope the show keeps going, because uh, keeps doing what it's doing, because it is awesome. Thank you for your time. So thank you for that email, Chris. Yeah, I can get behind most of his comments. I mean... Again, I, I don't want a, you know a verbatim retelling of the Walking Dead comic book. I think they're making changes that work, you know, for TV. Next, we had an email from Lucas King, the Crippled Avenger. It says, "Greeting, Legion of Dead." We kind of like that. It was uh, chuckle worthy. Apologies for not getting in touch with you, gentlemen, sooner. But much like zombies, I'm a very slow person, both in walking and emails. First off, let me say how happy I am this podcast exists and that it's doing so well. The quality of the HHW LOD pedigree is in full effect here. I always refer folks asking me about The Walking Dead to this show as its excellent companion to their watching. And uh, I should mention, you guys can check out our other shows at HHWLOD.com. It's HHWLOD.com. You can find the Half Hour Wasted and Legion of Dudes podcast. Back to the email. As for the show itself, it is amazing. The scope is truly stunning, and the casting is up to this point is perfect. Dale and Glenn in particular walked right off the pages, in my opinion. The violence level is both welcome and surprising. I didn't think AMC would let them have this much freedom as far as the zombie gore. With a story like this, it's needed, though, so I'm glad they didn't handcuff the show by cutting back on it. As far as the deviations from the path that have been happening, I'm surprised how much I've really been liking it. Whether it's a show, whether it's to show the friendship between Shane and Rick that is only implied in the comic, or the more enhanced background of Morgan and Dwayne, I really like seeing things I'd always wanted to see in the books on the small screen. Also, I think that these deviations will be a nice way to concentrate or expand on certain points of the book in the future. Like you gentlemen, I have tried my best to divorce my comic knowledge to the show, but it's very hard. When Rick finally found his family in episode 3, I choked choked up big time just knowing what a big moment it is for all those characters, and also for the viewers knowing what's down the road. And of course, there's Lori. I'd like to give it up to Sarah Wayne Callies and also the writers for making a unlikable character just that. I've always disliked the character in the comic. Laurie is a person who does wrong and deflects the blame to everyone but herself and also casts blame on people for this insane situation that no one has control over. Callie's acting and the way she is written shows this off in spades. They could have easily softened the role for TV and I'm glad that they didn't. 
All in all, I am super pleased with the show and can't wait to see what happens next. Keep up the fine work, gents. I know you will. Buster 2012, Lucas King. Lucas rocks. Yes. I agree that Sarah Wayne Callies is doing a great job. Uh, whether that be, you know, we've gone over the debate of whether we should hate her or like her or whose fault it is. But either way, you know, she's delivering it, which is, uh, again, it's that gray area character. And I think she's doing a great job with it. We also got great emails from Everard. Thank you for that email. It's a bit long, so we didn't have time to get to it right now. And from Austin K., who sent us the the, uh, the Gary, Busey, Gary Busey picture last week. Uh, this week, he sent us a picture of Merle reaching for the hacksaw, and there's also a glue gun in the shot. So he was questioning why in the world the uh, survivors would bring, bring a glue gun with them in their bag of tools. And I frankly have no idea. It's Dale. He's always prepared. <laughs> Gluing stuff, maybe? Yeah, I was going to say Dale's a Boy Scout, just like Jordan said. Uh, and then, of course, we got another email from Aaron. We want to thank Aaron for his email. He points out Glenn had a completely Indiana Jones moment when he went back for Rick's hat. And uh, that hat, uh, uh, that's it's not my favorite style of hat, but it has such significance in the story. It really is cool to see them working it into the show as much as, uh, much as it was in the comic. And so we want to thank everybody for their emails. You too can have your, your emails read on the show in future episodes if you send an email to comments at walkingdeadtv.com. All right, folks. So that's it for the Walking Dead TV podcast, episode 11. This was Vatos. We'll be back next week uh, to take a look at episode five, which is called, Jordan, what is that called? Wildfire or something? She ran calling wildfire. Thank you for that. As always, we can be found at walkingdeadtv.com. All of our other family of podcasts can be found at hhwlod.com. If you like the kind of in-depth review we're doing of this television show, we do it for comics, we do it for movies, we do it for lots of stuff. Uh, on the Legion of Dudes show, and on Mondays you can check out Half Hour Wasted where they do lots of wacky and wild things like play games. Uh, what do you do? You play some trivia games, you yell at each other. What's going on on Half Hour Wasted lately, Brad? Not a lot, actually. I kind of kind of would like it if you hadn't have brought us up. <laughs> episode 200. <laughs> of course, episode 200. Tell us, Brad, is that a stick'em thing? It's a live call-in show. Yeah, we're going to have a live call-in uh, on December the 5th at 6 p.m. Central at the, actually at that number I gave earlier in the show, 972-798-3830. And uh, the topic of our 200th episode is tell us about your hidden gems. You know, sometimes there's a book you read or a show you watch or a musical group you you listen to that nobody else knows about. And uh, so we want to hear about your hidden gems. That's what we're going to do. You know, when we're not goofing around and, and talking about comics or something like that. <clears throat> Pardon me. I was choking on my own slobber. <laughs> <laughs> a fine example of what you might hear on Half Hour Away. <laughs> yes. As a matter of fact, uh, we talk about all kinds of pop culture things. And the, the three of us, Bill and Frank and I, we've known each other for a long time. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not. So. Anyway, uh, episode 200, uh, December 5th. That's what's coming up. I will be there uh, displaying my hidden gems. Also, we can be reached at 516-468-7912 for voicemails, comments at Walking Dead TV for emails, 
at WDTV Podcast for Twitter. Now, Brad, we have a bit of unfinished Twitter business. We told everyone on Twitter <laughs> that if they got us to 300 followers by Friday, which they did, that we would have a Twitter contest. And I know you have been uh, dreaming up a Twitter contest all day in anticipation for this very moment. Uh, yes, I have. Uh, I have the first 12 Walking Dead trades uh, to give as a prize for this contest. Um, the first, I want to say the first five, maybe the first seven or eight of them are signed by Robert Kirkman. Okay, I have those trades, um, but I must confess that I haven't decided exactly what I want the Twitter contest to be. I will so, f- I'll start you off and you decide because they're your books. Okay. Friday, at some point in the afternoon, we are going to leave a message on our Twitter. So this will reward the, fa- the people uh, who are watching the Twitter during the day. And we will tell them to email us something. And you, Brad, will be the judge of which one is the best of those. Yes, that sounds awesome, and I'm glad I didn't have to to come up with that. Okay, so just to repeat and make sure, Friday afternoon, watch our Twitter. We're going to send out a message. We're going to ask some sort of question or make you do something foolish, and uh, then we'll take maybe, I don't know, the first five and judge from there, and you'll win 12 trades of The Walking Dead, and several are signed by Robert Kirkman. And just to be clear, this is Black Friday we're talking about, right? Uh, that's right. It is Black Friday. Perfect. So there'll be a little bit, you know, if you really want these trades, you're going to have to, there'll be some effort. I know you're going to be distracted by Black Friday deals, but if you want these trades, you're going to have to pay attention to the Twitter. Now back to the closing of the show. You can always find us on Facebook as well. We have groups for the Walking Dead TV podcast, Half Hour Wasted, Legion of Dudes, We are everywhere. Uh, So now I am going to give this to Jordan, who is going to read the preview for Episode 5, Wildfire. If you don't want to hear that, we'll see you next time. That's right, John. We're going to go into the preview for next week and then possibly some bloopers. But before that, until there's no more room in hell and the dead walk the earth, remember, if you're forced to do your dog shopping at Satan's yard sale, you might want to move to a safer neighborhood. And next week on The Walking Dead, we have episode number five, Wildfire. And the liner for that episode is Rick leads the group to the CDC after the attack and Jim must make a terrible life and death decision. Have a good night, everybody. Good night. Who's here? This is Russ. Ah, ah. Sorry. Droogie. What? Nobody's ever seen uh, Clockwork Orange. Oh, it's been Thank a you. long time. Thank you, Jordan. Did you watch it with lid locks on your glazies? No, I watched it on a DVD player. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough about you, that. You Montos. want that in the can? No, I'll have it right here. <laughs> Glenn and Daryl make it to this. Sorry. That was awesome. I apologize.
are you my, are you are you playing uh, Guitar Hero while we're doing this? No, that's my my text ringtone to the show. A non comic reader to the show. Do us as hosts. Uh, I don't remember how I worded it. Are we as hosts, having read the book, are we influencing your ability to enjoy the TV show? You know, like, like I said, I, I can't remember how I worded it, but I was trying to, trying to. Uh, somebody had made a, a a comment about what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I was a Boy Scout. I was a senior patrol leader, Boy Scout. Oh, obviously, not through. a good one. Really uh, it is you. called wildfire. Uh, I don't remember how many I had at the time. Is that a cricket? Is that a cricket? <laughs> and then we will decide which one is the best. How does that sound? I think that sounds like he dropped about 45 seconds ago. Mother. Why'd you let me continue, Jordan? It was kind of funny. Ass munch. <laughs> no, thank you.